0: Amen. This morning, we have a few things coming together as a church. We've been, since Wednesday night, there's been around-the-clock prayer, either in this room or in room 100, that we've had an 84-hour prayer campaign. So many of you came in as individuals or as groups, and I had a time Friday by myself last night. My family came in here for an hour, and it was wonderful to be with Casey and my two boys uh, praying in this room, just wanting to know God better and praying over this church. So that's building up to this morning and then there's also Family Reunion. It's an annual youth retreat. So the two on the stage with me and many of the yellow shirts you see in this room, they've been in a retreat since Friday night. We had a wonderful worship service to kick off Family Reunion Friday night. And I've been in a sermon series for three months, uh, unpacking the the book of Mark. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the transfiguration. And so we're talking about what it means to go up on a mountain. And they've been in a youth retreat talking about hills and valleys. So I look forward to all this that's coming together today. I want to welcome the guests in the room. I want to welcome those who are joining us on live stream. Both of you have... Family joining us on live stream. So, can you give them a quick little wave up there just for a moment? And for everyone, you are invited to a potluck because what better way to celebrate a family reunion than to eat together? And, and we do that well. I learned that when I first came here to this church. You eat well, all right? And, 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 and uh, you've heard me joke about this in the past. When we moved here for the first two weeks, somebody brought us a meal every single night. And every meal except one came with banana pudding. 13 out of 14 nights. Mills, somebody brought Subway sandwiches, and it came with banana pudding. So Casey and I were like, we love living in Memphis. Banana pudding comes with everything. So this is awesome. So I look forward to to our time eating today. There are a few reasons some of you in this room aren't going to be able to retire. I was reading an article not too long ago about this. Number one is this, credit card debt. Some of you would say amen to that, right? Number two, a reason people struggle to retire is paying for their kids' colleges, that they put money, too much money, into their kid's college instead of saving up for retirement. So the moral of the story, just don't care so much about your kids, right? But maybe not. I'm just joking. Especially the two on stage, you're like, no, mom, don't listen to that. Right? Number three is trying to pay off fixed debts too quickly. But here's a fourth one that sometimes we don't recognize. Becoming grandparents. How many of you would agree with this? <laughs> All right. And not just becoming grandparents, but number five, and it's just an image. Can we go to that image? Here's a reason some of you aren't going to be able to retire. Build-a-Bear, all right? <laughs> Big reason why. My mom took all the grandkids, all five grandkids to build-a-bear, and I saw my dad over in a corner, and he was like, I thought I was going to retire at 66, but after the day it's going to be 71, all right? Now, I've talked about build-a-bear in the past, because this is a fascinating idea to me. That you don't just go into a store and buy a stuffed animal. You go into a store and you get to make a stuffed animal into whatever you want it to be. So you walk into Build-A-Bear, and you choose kind of what you want, and then you get a, to use Build-A-Bear language, you get to choose the right amount of fluffability and hugability you would like in a bear. You want it to be small? That's cool. You want it to be larger? That's cool. You get to dress it however you want to dress it. You get to put sound bites in it to tell you, Hi, these things are so smart that they have birth certificates and driver's license, and they can do your taxes and who knows what else, all right? You go through this store, and you make a stuffed animal into whatever you want it to be. And the challenge, I think, for so many of us is we do the same exact thing with Jesus. We go to stores, and we like to dress up Jesus, how we want Jesus to fit our story, our narrative, what it is we want Jesus to be. So it's like there's this build of Jesus that we can easily create, where instead of us trying to take up the cause of Jesus, we want Jesus to take up the cause of our lives or what we think may be the most important. So we want Jesus to fit into our story. And we have a story in the Bible that talks about this. In Mark chapter 9, and Caroline Bowers and Zach Miller are going to help me. help unpack this for us today to experience this story, but here's how it goes. In Mark chapter 9 verse 2 and 4. After six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. This all begins with these these few words. After six days. Which sometimes we skip over that kind of stuff in our Bibles after six days. But if you read the end of chapter 8, what Jesus just did for them was talk about what it means to be the Messiah and who the Messiah is. And the Messiah means, him being the Messiah, means he's on his way somewhere where he's going to die. And it took six days like, for his disciples to process this, but they still couldn't get it. So after six days, Jesus leads them up a mountain where he is transfigured in front of them because the disciples struggle with what we, decide, what we struggle with too. And sometimes it's easy for us to try to make Jesus into our image, what we want Jesus to be like to fit our story, our narrative. They struggle with the same thing. There were times I think the disciples had conversations of, okay, now remind me, who are we following Like, who is this we're following? Because it's too easy for us to take the pieces of Jesus we love to take and to leave out the pieces that challenge us too much instead of seeing everything Jesus is, everything he wants, and to try to see him more clearly. I believe there are places in the Bible and stories like Mark 9 with the transfiguration story that are meant to be studied and known, but I believe these are also stories meant to be experienced. That God is not just wanting to call together the church for a history lesson of who God has been in the past, but that this same God wants to be experienced and encountered. So I've asked a couple of our students to come and help us this morning. So Zach Miller is going to share with us, and then Caroline Bowers. And they're just going to help us see this story, what it means for them, maybe specific parts of this story that have touched them. And I've also asked them to, like, preach for a moment, to challenge the church so,
1: Zach, you going to go first? Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Um, Josh asked me to speak about t- two weeks ago. So, naturally, all my notes are written on my hand about ten minutes before I started. Um, this story, I'd just like to, I'm going to go ahead and read it again because it's something that when you read it, you kind of hear everything, something new every time. Um, "'After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with Him. He led them up a high mountain. They were all alone. There in front of them, His appearance was changed. His clothes became so white, they shone. They were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Elijah and Moses appeared in front of them, Jesus and His disciples. The two of them were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, "'Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One will be for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah.' Peter didn't really know what to say because they were so afraid." Then a cloud appeared and surrounded them. A voice came from the cloud, and it said, this is my son, and I love him. Listen to him. They looked around, and suddenly they saw no one except for Jesus. Now, um, in school, I'd say one of my biggest interests is uh, history. And so I'm taking, uh, I have taken, this is my second year of history, like in a college-level course, It's or APNs, or dual enrollment for some people. And we have periods. Every section is broken up to periods. And one of the periods, uh, this last one, is 1250 to 1750. That's about 500 years, and it has to be taught in about three weeks. So, it's sort of a broad sweep concept kind of class. It's not a lot of very specific things. So, I think that sometimes when we look at Bible stories like this, we look a lot about in the story, but we look nothing really into the context of what was going on around it. And… Josh asked me today to speak about how Jesus has more clearly transformed himself and shown himself to me. And for me, I I don't think I've really ever felt one of those experiences, but I have felt a change sort of in purpose, uh, I think, that Jesus has revealed to me. And I think that the story in Mark 9 is more of this is Jesus. He was building his ministry before this, but after this, he predicts his death two times, and then he walks into Jerusalem, and then he's crucified. And I think this is where Jesus is changing His purpose. He's no longer preaching. He's no longer trying to get people to believe. This is Him saying, I'm done with this part, and now I'm, I'm going home. I'm bringing it to the end, kind of walking to the close. And uh, I'd like to share two parts of my story or parts of my life that I think I had sort of a change in purpose. Uh, one of them was about three years ago in Panama um, I was walking this girl home, her name was, I think, Anna Lucia, and I was just talking to her, and I had a good 10, 15-minute conversation, and I'd taken Spanish for five years now, back then I was like three, and I still am horrible at it. <laughs> so it was, it was a labor conversation, but it still worked. And later that day, I was talking to Tyler, and we were just kind of walking down the road, and everybody had talked these stories about, oh, Panama was so hot, and, like, it was really fun, but it was just, it was just kind of miserable right there. But I, I loved every minute of it. And that was one of those moments, I think, I became a little more mature and as a person because I thought it wasn't, this is something I'd like to do, it's, I can do this. Like, I think that I would change my purpose in not going somewhere to meet my needs, but just doing whatever I can to meet the needs of someone else, because that's, that's really what you're there for when you're on a mission. Like It's great that you have these life-changing experiences, but you have to be there with a purpose. You have to be there to finish something. Now, it doesn't have to be completely finished. Like we built a septic tank. We didn't finish off the septic tank, but we had to finish whatever we said we were going to go there to do. And the second part that I would think is a more, it's more spirituality. Uh, May 25th of this year, I've had a friend. I've known her for about seven years now. Um, on May 25th, I was going to pick her up that morning. Um, I had no idea this was something. I mean, she's, she's one of the happiest people I've ever known. Um, but on May 25th, she called me and I was coming to pick her up and she was like, uh, Zach, uh, don't come to pick me up today. Uh, I'm in the hospital. I was like, what, what happened? Well, that night, she had uh, tried to kill herself, and that was, um, I had no idea that was going on. And that was sort of a, it was a shock to me, but as we were going throughout that summer, I remember having sort of a renewed sense of purpose, like whenever I was around her, I was 100% more intentional on trying to make sure that she was not, even on the outside, not that she was happy, but on the inside, that like whatever is going on, you got to be very intentional about that because, I mean, I can joke around with people and that'll be fun. We can all laugh and then walk away and be really hurting on the inside. With a lot of things, I think that you have to find a new purpose when you're talking with people. You have to be more intentional to see into them and to think, like, what's really going on? Take a minute with everybody, I think, and just really say, are you good? Like, are you okay? What's going on? Because that was always really a surprise for me. And uh, that would probably be the two parts that I'd say in my life that I've really changed purpose. Um, And he also asked me to tell something to take home with you guys. And I think it's kind of good, and I think probably was planned this way. Uh, Our family reunion was hills and valleys. Um, I think that Jesus on the hill in this story is probably one of the biggest analogies for hills and valleys. It's probably one of the best ones. Jesus, in that moment, he's standing there, he's talking with God. God just says, this is my son, and I love him. And he's sitting there, he's talking with Elijah and Moses, some of the two biggest prophets, and he's on a mountain. And he's probably on the biggest spiritual high of his life. I don't know if he could get spiritual highs because he's the son of God, but <laughs> I would say he's on the biggest spiritual high ever. But he intentionally goes down, and he goes into the most spiritual low. He not only, I mean... Think about it from this, you're perfect. You've never sinned your life, but you know you're going to walk down there and you're going to take all the sins of the world on top of you and then you're going to die. Two things that, something that it's just, I don't think he'd ever experienced. He couldn't, he was gone. Um, And then three days later, he was resurrected. So I think that was a really good hills and valleys. The hill being, he was on top of that mountain, literally. And he went down to Jerusalem, he was in the valley, and then he was raised back up on the hilltop. So I think that when people are in valleys, you just gotta realize that the only way a valley is created is by having mountains around it. So you have to keep on going to that valley until you find somewhere that goes up. I mean, one of the truest sayings is that when you hit rock bottom, the only place you can not goes up because that's very true. You gotta just be intentional. You have to keep walking. You have to find purpose in whatever you're doing, and you have to purposely walk down there, even if you know it's gonna be scary or sad something, you have to keep walking into that valley because you know eventually you're going to hit a mountain and you're going to go up again. I think that one verse that I've always stuck out to me is Nehemiah 6, 9. All of them were trying to frighten us. They thought their hands would get too weak to do the work, so it won't be completed. But I prayed to God. I said, make my hands stronger. That's something that's always stuck with me, and I'd like to, to stick with you guys too, that walk into that valley, and sometimes, and most of the time, you can't pray to God, and you can't be Jesus and ascend to heaven. You've got to pray to God, strengthen my hands, because that's sometimes all we can do to get through the valley.
2: Okay, so um, Josh asked us to speak about, um, like Zach said, a time where the Holy Spirit was presented to us. And so um, this weekend for family reunion, we talked about hills and valleys, like Zach said, and this story correlates so well with the uh, hills, but um, I wanted to talk about the valleys because even though it can be hard for most people to hear, valleys are just as important as the mountains are. And so, um, I wanted to share an individual experience where um, the Spirit revealed Himself to me in a valley. So, a couple years ago, um, I was going through a tough valley. Um, There was no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel, and I would just wake up and expect the same result every day. I would put myself on autopilot. I would just go through the day and... The same thing. I had a routine. I wouldn't show any emotion. I'd just go through the day and try to get to the end. So, um, the idea that God was anywhere near me, that He wanted to help me get out of this valley, seemed like a joke. It was as if I was all alone. It was like anytime I was near my friends or my family, I was still alone. So, I just put on a facade. I put on a happy mask, is what I like to call it, to where people would just see the outside, see that I'm okay, everything's fine. But on the inside, all my emotions were just packed into one place where I never wanted to go. I never wanted to reach that spot. So, um, one night, I was alone in my bedroom, and I hit what some would call a point of no return. I thought I wouldn't bounce back. I thought I couldn't go anymore. Um, I was crying on my bed, silently just looking at the damage that I would just done. Um, I fell asleep that night with an uneasy and broken heart, and I had no hope. I didn't know what was going to happen when I woke up in the morning. So all I could think to do was just go to sleep, forget about everything. So the next day, um, I woke up, and I had a doctor's appointment. Now, when I say doctor, I mean therapist. (laughs) Um, And while I was waiting to go see my doctor, um, my parents were sitting with me, and they told me that it was going to be an appointment where they were gonna sit in. Now, whenever they told me this, I immediately was unhappy. I was like, y'all cannot sit in here with me. I don't want y'all to know what is going on. I like to be vulnerable with one person if I can. I don't, I don't, like don't wanna go down to that spot. I don't want y'all to see what's happening. I want you to see me as you think I am. I want you to see me as the happy person that you think I am. And so, um, whenever I went in there, I opened up. I told them what was happening. And when I saw the effect that it had on them, I really did see that I was not alone. I was loved. And... um by seeing that and seeing the love that my parents gave to me, I immediately felt the Holy Spirit wash over me. Seeing their love and feeling their love, I knew that I was loved. I knew I wasn't alone. I knew the Holy Spirit had been there the whole time. But sometimes, to us, it's just a decision. We have to decide that we are loved. God can't make that decision for us. So, I just, I'm so grateful for this experience, and I'm so grateful that God has shown me and has presented himself to me, and we just have to choose to read the signs that God presents to us. We can't just let it go in one ear and out the other. We can't just bottle up our emotions and not let God touch them. (laughs) He's... (laughs) We have to see that God's in the hills. We know he's there because it's easier to see him while we're there. But you also have to recognize that God's there in the valleys. He cares. He loves. He saves. And when it's dark, sometimes that's the best time to see God. So I just want to let you know that he's present in the hills and he's present in the valleys. And you know that he loves you. You just have to make the decision that you are loved, that you are not alone. And so I just want to say that if any of you are experiencing a valley, just know that you're not alone. God's there. You have other people surrounding you that will present God through them to you. You never know how you're going to be touched, but you know that God will touch you. So that's all I have to say.
0: I don't know what God's going to do with either of you moving forward in your future or what vocation God may call you in. But I pray that the hearts that you just share with us, of hearts that want to know God better, will go with you for the rest of your life. If you were touched by either thing, they either one of these people, You just just a show of hands, how many of you received something from God through them? Praise God for that. And now I want all of you to say, good luck, Josh, in trying to follow that and bring this sermon to a close. Um, <laughs> Uh, I I love so much Caroline, thank you for being so vulnerable Um, that's often how God reveals himself to us and Zach, thank you for pointing out how this was, Jesus wasn't just being transfigured for a show, like it was about him revealing to them that there is this purpose of why I came, that you're, you're really struggling to see right now and you need to see better, I think if I were to ask people in this room how many of you want to see Jesus better I think it would be unanimous all of us want to see Jesus better But when it comes to the story of the transfiguration, it's not just do you want to see Jesus better, but are you willing to follow Jesus to the place where Jesus wants to help you see better? So a little over a week ago, I was able to join some of us uh, who went to Israel, and we went up to where most people believe that this story took place, the Mount of Transfiguration. And we're driving down a road, and our guide said, hey, do you see the top of that mountain over there? You see that little building at the top? That's where we're going. And we looked at this mountain and we were like, wow, because all my life I thought, you know, this was like a hill Jesus walked up, you know, like a hill like the size of the best pro, pro shop downtown. Like we're just walking up a little hill and then Jesus transfigured this was a mountain. This was a type of mountain that you would have to load up water and Gatorade and protein and uh, first aid kits. And this was a hike. This was so far up a mountain that our our tour bus couldn't make it up the mountain. We had to stop at a location to get in smaller shuttles that would carry us up this mountain through a windy road. If you get motion sickness, this wasn't for you. We're in this shuttle bus and, and this guy, or little shuttle car, and the guy driving, and this is what he does every day of his life. He could probably do this with his eyes closed, though I didn't want him to try, all right? But we're in this little shuttle car, and this guy's smoking with his left hand, texting with his right hand, occasionally driving with his leg. (laughs) Have you ever been with someone who does something like this? All right, And he's driving us up to the very top. It was a trek to get to the top. And to think Jesus led them to a mountain to be transfigured, a mountain that would have been hard to climb up to the top. Jesus could have been transfigured or transformed in the living room of the home where they were staying or on the front porch of where they were staying or in a restaurant or a marketplace somewhere close by or in the road, or in the synagogue, but instead Jesus led them up a mountain where it would have been hard to get to the top for him to reveal himself more clearly. A lot of times in our life, there needs to be preparation for an encounter with God, that we want the encounter, but some of us aren't preparing ourselves for an encounter. We want to see Jesus more clearly, but what kind of sacrifice are we willing to make in our lives to see Jesus more clearly? Because for Jesus in this story, he took them away from family, he took them away from jobs, he took them away from every distraction to get them to, them to a place where he could reveal himself and his mission and his character more clearly to them. And I believe God can encounter you, whether you, are, you desire an encounter or not, but there are times where I think God's preparing us for an encounter. And are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to say no to something? Are we willing to try to limit distractions, get to a place where we can see Jesus more clearly? But this isn't just a story about seeing Jesus more clearly. As Zach read earlier, when the voice of God comes, the voice of God isn't look at him. The voice of God is listen to him. As great as Moses is and as great as Elijah is, those aren't that your salvation is not found in them. Your source of life isn't in them. Jesus is your source of life. You don't just look at him, you listen to him. He's the one who speaks good news and he's the one who speaks in a way that shows and reveals that often the path to God and righteousness is through suffering. And are we willing to go? Church, it's hard for us to see sometimes. It's hard for us to see Jesus more clearly sometimes. It's hard to see when what you see around your house right now are bills that you don't know how they're going to be paid. It's hard to see when you're surrounded by sin that you don't want to get out of. It's hard to see when you're surrounded by chaos and stress. It's hard to see when you find yourself in deep forms of depression or anxiety. It's hard to see when you've given your heart over to an election season and God wants your heart back. It's hard to see when we're surrounded by so much dysfunction in our world, yet today, every day, Jesus wants to help us see more clearly and listen more clearly, and are we willing to sacrifice and prepare for whatever encounter God may have for us? I wanna ask for our elders and prayer leaders, if they will, to go around the room to receive people. This may be a time where you just need someone to pray for you to see more clearly. It may be a time for you to ask someone to pray over you that you are so distracted in life, you can't see, you can't hear, yet you wanna know God. And we have people stationed throughout this room who are ready and willing to receive you, lay hands on you and pray if there's something you want to bring in front of this church. We invite you to come to the front where we have a couple of elders up here to receive you. If this is a day that you want to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life and be baptized into Christ, we invite you to find one of these people standing in this room. And as you go home, I ask you to take a couple of questions with you. What are you willing to sacrifice to see Jesus better? And what is in the way? of you seeing and hearing Jesus more clearly. Let's stand together and let's sing a song.